Hi, I'm Josh Gagnon, and this is the Creative Sheep Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders like yourself to get better. Folks, my name's Jared Hogue. So excited to be here with you today. And standing straight, well, more like catty corner from me. Catty corner. Uh, is is Roman Johnson. It's great to be here. Where's that applause track? We uh, It's in the works. It's being it's in pr- production right now. I feel like these are just like readily available. Oh, uh, nope. You got to make, you got to get a whole crowd together. And you got to make it happen. That's how you do it. How are you today, Jared? Uh, Roman, I am doing so well. It's a very gloomy day here in Tulsa. It but is. I am, I am just at the top of my game. I love it. Me too. Yeah. I'm yeah. feeling good. It's like I, I got a nap in earlier, so oh. I'm feeling pretty good. That'll get a good, that's, a, that's, a, that's always good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were just talking about creating a rap. Uh, yeah. For the, to go along with the new Creative Sheep anthem. Yeah. So the the, the anthem, obviously, it's a hip hop beat. Right. It's, no, it's no secret. We love hip hop here. At Creative and Sheep. I love to rap uh, to write raps. So I'm gonna put one together, and we're gonna throw it in the intro at some point. Not only do you like to write raps, though, you like to rap. I love writing raps, writing rhymes, and spitting rhymes on the mic. It is it is true to be said of you that you are a professional rapper. You have been paid. Yeah. To rap. Uh, currency has been exchanged for uh, for for hip-hop raps and beats and rhymes. Shameless plug, not in the normal context of our shameless plug, but you've actually been uh, uh, on some raps for Chick-fil-A. Uh-huh. The University of Oklahoma. Yes. Uh, Cherry Berry. Uh-huh. And I believe there's plenty more. Aflac has one. Yep. Um, US, for, USA.gov has one. For those of you one. who don't yeah. know, that's when we got our start into making cool stuff. Yes. Like videos, and, and we, we started making... Rap videos. It all started making rap videos. It yeah. actually started making rap videos for churches. We're going on far too long about this, but it's all true. It's true. It is true. Folks, if you didn't know, today's episode is brought to you by creativesheep.org. Swing over to creativesheep.org for all of your creative needs. That's right. You should definitely do that. Hey, and if uh, if you get a lot out of this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would uh, subscribe, if you would re- maybe write a review on yeah. iTunes, uh, and if you if you feel like it. Maybe tweet about it or share it on Facebook. That would really help us out and help us to get in front of more leaders like yourself. We would love that, you know. Uh, and if you, if you the whole subscribing thing, you get first access. That's right. You will know about it before anybody else if you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. And folks, we don't want to waste any more of your time here. So let's get to today's shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shame. Shameless. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shame. Shameless plug. Roman. Yes, Jared. Do you love your mother? I love her with all my heart. Her name is Elaine. She's a wonderful woman. She is a wonderful woman. I know her. She's very, uh, she's a black belt. In karate? Uh, Taekwondo, yeah. That's that's insane. We all are. Of course you are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Roman Mother's Day is right around the corner. I didn't know. You're right. It is. May 8th, 2016 this year. It's on a Sunday, if you didn't know. Although it's always on a Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) Um... Folks, for all of your creative needs, I know we already told you to head over to creativesheep.org for all your creative needs, but th- for your Mother's Day creative right. needs, we've got some Mother's Day specific countdowns over there for you. We've yeah, got- I was on there the other, just the other day and I watched through uh, one called Steed the Screen Mother's Day yes. edition. It is it's really good. It it, it'll really get good. your crowd going. It's uh, it's just a really solid piece for, for Mother's Day. It's super interactive. Very. Gets the crowd going before you even set foot on the stage. Plus, we've got the interactive countdown that's out there. And folks, the interactive countdown is $7.98. That's oddly specific. The the Steve the Screen is $9.98. I mean, we're talking chump change here, folks. Chump. 
And then we've got, of course, some content pieces out there, poem about mom, show her your good side, uh, ode to mothers, and a brand new piece releasing in 2016 for Mother's Day. Folks, head over to creativesheep.org for all your Mother's Day content. And that is today's shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. We have got a phenomenal interview for you today, Roman. Uh, we had Josh Gagnon. I got to talk with him, and it was an absolutely phenomenal interview. He has a really uh, awesome podcast, doesn't he? He most certainly does. It's the Joshua Gagnon Leadership Podcast. Absolutely named. Very easy to find. He does some interviews. He does some that are not interviews. It's just him talking. What I love about his podcast, Roman, he actually created this as an avenue just to communicate with his team. This was not intended as a mass broadcast kind of thing. That's super cool. uh, But it has grown to that. Uh, and uh, just love Josh, love his heart. He's the senior pastor and founding pastor of Next Level Church. Uh, I believe in it's over on the East Coast. I should know where it is, uh, but it is uh, it's over on the East Coast. He is just exploding. Um, they're not that old. They've got campuses all over the place. Last we talked, they were they were actually launching another campus in New York. Um, so they're just growing like crazy. Plus, they are the founders of the Activate Conference. Just absolutely love, love, love what Josh and his team are doing with Next Level Church. Um, and so, Roman, I think just without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Josh Gagnon. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, it is an absolute honor to be with you. Man, uh, I, I know that the uh, the awareness of Josh Gagnon, Josh Gagnon, not Gagnon, that's not, I don't even know if that's a person. Uh, is, Maybe it's plural. There's a few of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure, I know the awareness of you is increasing, uh, especially in the church world with, I mean, you're just killing it in New England, which is a place not known for killing it in the church world. Um, yeah. But, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we've been blessed for, for what God's done and what he's continuing to do. You know, with with that, for for anyone out there listening though that maybe just doesn't know who Josh Gagnon is, let, let's get a little backstory on you. First and foremost, were you born and raised on the East Coast? No, I was actually uh, I was born in Texas, and so deep down inside of my heart, there's a there's a Texas man, a Texan inside there, and so <laughs> uh, I was born in the Bible Belt, believe it or not, in Texas, and. Um, my uh, family, when I was very young, moved to New England, Massachusetts area, and um, I've been raised in New England. Uh, we lived around in, in different places in New England, but yeah, I was born in Texas, and so that's my uh, that's my claim to fame. So, do you love the Longhorns? Then I don't even like college football to be honest. Like, I'm a sports fanatic, yeah, and I'll watch a good football game. But in New England, yeah, like that's why I don't always fit in down south with all the. Um, with so many of the pastors down south when it comes to sports because the southern folks, man, all you want to talk about is college football and all I want to talk about is the New England Patriots and the NFL. And so yeah. when you come when you come to New England, we're we're NFL fans yeah. and, and down south I know you guys love your college teams. Well, I think if we had a good pro team nearby, then we might talk about pro sports. But <laughs> yeah, since exactly. we can't rely been, uh, on that uh, <laughs> yeah, we're we're definitely lucky to be uh, Pats fans here in New England, but but yeah, I was born in Texas and grew up in New England, and and so I'm I've been given the great honor by God to be able to reach the people group that um, I grew up with, and so that's that's a great honor. That's awesome, man. And and I, this is definitely not the topic of conversation, but you being connected to uh, to some of the guys on the Patriots, uh, yeah. How did you feel? Just the nutshell version with Deflate Gate. 
Yeah, well, actually, it's funny. You know, I think that anybody will tell you when they start to grow relationships with anybody, maybe in the media or, you know, even in the church world, you start to grow in a close relationship with somebody and you start to know them as a person and not as a face and not as a voice. You know, I think anybody will tell you, you know, when people become real to you, you start to actually carry a burden for them. And so, you know, we, we get hassled a lot when it comes to deflate gate and all those different things. <laughs> but um, as as people become people, you start to actually feel really bad for them and, and uh, hate, you get a little angry on their behalf. So you, you kind of want to stand up for them a little bit. Yeah, well, the truth is, is when you're the when you're the best, I mean, you're gonna get ridiculed, and you're gonna people are gonna call you a cheater because, you know, they're just. They, what else do you say about a team that's just the best? You know what I mean, Jared? When, when you're the best, people have to talk about you. So, <laughs> if for nothing else, how can you not love Tom Brady's story? I mean, seriously, it, second string quarterback comes in when Drew Bledsoe gets hurt, and then just kills it. Just from there, it's been an explosive career. How can you not love it, that? Yeah, I mean, you have to love it. If you yeah. love success, you love Tom Brady. And yes. So that's just kind of what we hang our hat on around here. Yes. Uh, now, are you a baseball fan at all? Yeah, I'm a Red Sox fan, so oh. that would kind of declare me as a Yankees hater, whichever one you'd like to like to call me. <laughs> you know, I, I respect you more now than I ever have before. I absolutely detest the Yankees. And Aaron Gardner, if you're listening right now, that one's for you as, as well as you, Chris George. Uh, the, the Yankees <laughs> are the worst. Absolute worst. So hey, sorry, man, that'll preach in New England. <laughs> Back on track here. Um, so okay, so born in Texas. Did you? You said you grew up on the East Coast, though. Yeah, I did. I grew uh, up in New England. Okay. Uh, so uh, along the way, did you grow up in church? Yeah, my parents. Um, when when uh, I was just born, they actually um, started attending uh, a Baptist church. And so that was, um, they. my parents actually grew up in New England. And for anybody that doesn't know the New England um, spiritual climate, it's it's very Catholic. Catholicism is very, very popular. You know, eight out of 10 people you meet will tell you they are Catholic or were Catholic or identify in some, some way like that. So my parents grew up in the Catholic church living here in New England, which most people did. And when they moved to Texas, um, they had a, a, a conversion of, of, of faith with Jesus and a personal relationship. Not that you can't have that in the Catholic Church, but for them, it happened in a, a Baptist church. And and so, you know, they started going to church in, when I was just a baby. So I did grow up in church. Um, we would go every single weekend. I didn't necessarily connect that well with church, but I think, you know, for my generation and many of us young church planners, we would kind of say one of the reasons we started a church was simply because we believed in God, but maybe felt like we didn't connect that well growing up with the church and wanted to offer those maybe that felt the same way we did an environment or a culture that made it um, more con- con- more easy to, re- to relate to. So yeah, I grew up in church, absolutely. But uh I would say when I was in my teenage years, we kind of stopped going. I was an AAU basketball player. I was chasing after college scholarships and stuff like that. And so, you know, we stopped going to church. And then through college, I never went to church one time. And so I wouldn't say I had a fairy tale, you know, story, you know, raised in church, went off to Bible school, got a degree, and here I am. I kind of envy that story, to be honest with you, but that wasn't the story that I had. Wow. So at what point in that journey did you did you fall in love with Jesus? Yeah, I, I can remember, you know, I, looking back at that, it's, such a, it's, it's an awesome question, Jared. Looking back at it, I can remember so many times of, of 
my faith being declared and defined, whether I stood up for Jesus or the conviction of the Holy Spirit. As I think back, when I was about eight years old, there was a time in church where I really was all by myself. It was after church. My parents were meeting with the pastor, and I'll never forget it. I was in the auditorium. We called it a sanctuary, and I was in the sanctuary, and I I remember sitting down on the floor up front, you, you know, like at the altar, we could say, and I remember just starting to cry and ask Jesus into my heart, and it was all by myself. Church had ended. It was just kind of an overwhelming moment with Jesus, and you know, you'll never forget those moments. You know, uh, you don't have many of them maybe in your lifetime, but you, you remember those special moments when you're just captivated by the presence of God. And so I would say it was eight years old when that happened. Wow. Very cool. Was it at yeah. that moment that you thought, uh, not only am I going to live for Jesus, but like, that's that's my career path, or was that later on? Yeah, no, my, my, the idea of being full-time in ministry or starting a church, being a church planner was the furthest thing from my mind at age 22, even at 23, um, maybe even at age 24 had never even really crossed my mind. Um, I played college basketball. I didn't go to Bible school. I didn't get a Bible degree. Um, you know, when I was younger, my parents would tell me about a time when I was an infant and they had placed me in a hotel room, and, and, you know, they were strict Baptists, and I don't want to get into a theological conversation over, you know, what's relevant in Scripture or not. But at this time, you know, they were very fundamental and Baptist, and I was placed on a on a bedroom, you know, on a bed inside of a hotel room as they were traveling, and a maid came in and, and started to pray over me, and they didn't understand what she was saying. And and they looked at my parents, and she looked at my parents. My mom was like, what are you doing? You know, my mom's kind of ghetto. She was about to attack the lady. <laughs> and uh, the, the the maid said in English, "Your son, God's going to use your son to reach thousands. And, and so that's a really cool story. It's funny. I heard it about three or four times in my lifetime when I was young, and it always stuck in the back of my head. You know, it's kind of like, what was that about? But going through high school, I never thought of being in ministry. Through college, I never thought about being in ministry. Matter of fact, when I got out of college, I started attending church and thinking, man, I would love for my friends to meet Jesus, and and I would love to be a part of a church where my friends wanted to go. But I didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel like I took the right path in college to set myself up for ministry. And so it wasn't until really um, about 25 years old where I felt that you know, God was calling me into ministry, and it kept me up at night, this idea of seeing people meet Jesus in the least church region of America. And, um, you know, I had never been a part of a church plant a day in my lifetime. I had didn't even know really churches planted or started. I know it sounds so naive, but when you're in a region of the country that's the least church region, you don't go down the street and see high school tr- churches and high schools. You don't see mm-hmm. new church plants starting. Um, I always just, as naive as it sounds, I just always thought churches just existed. And um, someone saw the gift in my a gift in my life and, and 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 called me out on it. And through conversation, I started taking going to school online, Bible school online, and and started to learn and study to show myself approved. And they said, do you want to start a church? And we had 12 of us. And I said, um, yeah, let's do this. And, and here we are today. And so it's a really rare story. You know, um, I had never been in church bigger than 200 people. Um, I had never looked at a church website a day in my lifetime until we planted Next Level. I'd never read a church planting book to this day and age, till this day and time, because I didn't read one prior to planting. And after we planted, I didn't read one because... I was figuring it out as we went. And so it's a really rare story. I wouldn't say it's the way to go, but God kind of, you know, for me, it, it ended up being my story. 
Man, that's incredible. Along the way, when you told your parents, "Hey, I want to, I'm going to do ministry full time. I'm going to go do. I'm going to go plant a church." Were they supportive of that? No, I don't think anybody was supportive <laughs> of it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I can't necessarily say I blame anybody. Looking back, here you are, this young, twenty four, twenty five year old guy saying, "I'm going to start a church," and you grew up in a culture where if you didn't have a doctorate's degree, you weren't a pastor. And so for my parents, they thought I was nuts. They even said, you can't just start a church. What do you think? You can just start a church. And so uh, now they attend and, you know, they love that we start a next level. But I would say um, back then, really nobody, but, you know, of course, Jennifer, my wife was supportive. Um, you know, I think sometimes God birth dreams are going to confuse the minds of those that it wasn't spoken to. And so I think you've got to be secure when you feel like you've heard from God, because if your dreams are God breathe dreams, they're often, when you repeat them, going to intimidate men and women. And so I kind of had that, I kind of prepared myself for that reality, that a God-sized vision, a God-sized dream, a God-sized calling isn't going to make sense to earthly thinking. And I kind of settled into that, and, and through the grace of God, was able to get through the criticism and the early um, doubts, and, and, and now, to God be the glory, um, my family attends, and... and um, serves and it's 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 a great story now so they're super supportive now very supportive now yeah very supportive now and and uh are really blown away by what god has done and you know or i mean they've seen firsthand how god can use a nobody how god can use somebody who who you know didn't go through the regular hoops to get to where i am and and i, I think when you look i always prayed when we started next level god let me be a part of a ministry where man can't get the credit that's all i want that's all i want where man can't get the credit make it so big that no man can get credit and to be honest with you i think my family because those are the ones that know you best I think my family knows that Josh Gagnon could have never pulled this off. It had to have been God, and that's pretty cool. And so God gets the credit, and and they attend. <laughs> so it's nice. Man, that's amazing. I, I love yeah. that philosophy. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, along the path now, Next Level Church has been a church for, is it seven years now? Yeah, we're coming up on eight years this Easter. Wow. Very, very yeah. cool. Um, I'm starting to get old. <laughs> how, how many campuses— do you have now? Uh, we have, we're launching our seventh location. I don't know when this will uh, go live, but as of March 6, 2016, we'll have seven locations every weekend. Wow. Seven years, uh, almost eight years, seven locations. Good grief. To call, if we, we'll call them campuses. Um, sorry, I, I use the lingo. We call them locations, so I don't want to confuse your listeners. Seven no, campuses. That's great. Um, so, in somewhere in this journey, you got married. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, yeah. So how, how long have you been married now? Uh, we've been married. We're coming up on 10 years. And so we uh, had started Next Level Church, uh, got married and started Next Level Church not too long ago and had two kids and yeah, Malachi and Nehemiah. You know, they're really Christians because of those names. And they so, just sound you know, so we, spiritual. Exactly. We're <laughs> just like the spiritual family. And so we, <laughs> we uh, yeah, so it's been a busy, it's definitely been a busy going on eight years. Um, and going on 10 years of marriage and two kids, and it feels like we've birthed or had more kids when you launch uh, seven more locations. They all feel like some you know, partly children. And so it's been definitely a crazy 10 years, and I've got a great team. God's blessed us with, God's blessed me with an, an amazing team um, at Next Level Church. It's, 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 it's genuinely the reason why we are where we are today. And so he's been faithful. 
And just to uh, for for any people out there that are maybe uh, haters like they were with Deflate Gate, uh, how many <laughs> how, how many folks? I know this doesn't tell the whole story, but it does tell a story. How many folks attend your seven campuses or locations? Yeah, we're uh, over twenty five hundred now a weekend, and and uh, believe um, three thousand people on this spring will will be attending. We had average twenty nine hundred a weekend last last December, November, December, and so we're kind of in that world right now. New England's kind of interesting because you gotta remember we get a lot of snow in the winter mm-hmm. and and cold and it was negative thirty this past weekend. So Ooh. it's hard to it's hard to give a gauge. It's fun with, with we, we fasted counting numbers uh, I think it was year three or year four, maybe both years. We fasted counting numbers because I had fallen into this trap of of really being defined by numbers and in chasing after numbers and, mm. and, and, and so we had fasted counting them. And so, uh, I, 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 we're really careful when we talk about those now and really don't want those to define us, but we're, we definitely are excited by what God's done. Sure. Sure. And man, that's an amazing heart to have. Um, cause that, yeah. I could totally see how that can be something easy to get swept up into, um, is the, the size of your church. Yeah, um, I, mean, I think it's. I think it's. We're all searching and chasing after finding our identity, and I know we're to find it in Christ, and I know we're to find it in who Jesus says we are. But if we're being honest, you know, we all preach. You know, I should say evangelicals. We all preach the same gospel, and we all believe in the same God, and we all believe that that God has, um, you know, all the power of heaven and on earth, and and we believe for the impossible and. You know, it's it's hard not to become insecure when we're all preaching the same gospel, and yet churches on the same road are growing at different rates. And it's hard not to wonder if that has anything to do with you. And so I like to think that, you know, being in ministry is one of the most insecure positions on planet Earth, because mm-hmm. we have all been given the same the same guarantees in Scripture. We've all been given the same, the same thing that, of course, this is, you know, for lack of a better word, but the same thing we're selling or offering or giving, and yet we're seeing different results. And so, you know, I, I fully relate and understand when leaders, including myself, pastors feel insecure, you know, and, and, and often often numbers of that source of insecurity, that's mm-hmm. kind of our biggest gauge in ministry. And so we fasted it for a couple years and made sure that numbers didn't define us before the vision and the mission, because I think chasing numbers will get you some growth, but I think chasing a vision will give you ultimate growth. And so we had to kind of balance those two worlds especially not coming into ministry out of a big ministry. And, and here I am jumping on the scene. We start a church and now I'm reading all these books and now I'm reading all these, going to all these conferences and now I'm reading all these blogs and everybody's talking about numbers and I'm in New England and we launched with a, you know, a hundred, 200 people and everybody else is launching with 500. And mm. it wasn't until I became a pastor that my motives became polluted you know, but prior to becoming a pastor and just being so naive and stepping in and starting a church so people need Jesus, man, my motives are really pure. It wasn't until I became a pastor when someone said, you know, how big are you? I would say 300 when we were really 150. You know, mm. it, it wasn't it wasn't until I became a pastor where I identified more with numbers than I did salvation. Wow. Man, thanks for just being so transparent with us. <laughs> That's un- Yeah, it's that's yeah, incredible. Hopefully, you know, my prayer is, is if I could just be, you know, try to try to be honest with who I am and, and, you know, hopefully people will be able to relate to that, um, to those weaknesses. I'm, I mean, I still struggle with that. So I think, I think, you know, um, I still, I think, I think we all, I mean, I still struggle with that. I know many leaders who still struggle with that. So. Absolutely. 
okay. Well, this this is a good launching point into our our really the main topic of our conversation today um, is what we're talking all about here is gauging success in ministry. And it can be an anomaly. I mean, I've even talked about this recently with my team is that on a sports field, it's so – you know what the win is. You know what success yeah. is. You know that it's it's touchdowns. It's stopping the def- it's stopping the offense. And then ultimately, whoever has the highest score at the end of the game is who wins. But it's yeah. not that clear cut <laughs> when it comes to ministry. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I've used that analogy as well. And so the question for you is, and really wanting to set up the, the, the amount of campuses, number of people attending, the staff you're talking about building, mm. um, you, you know what you're talking about when it comes to this topic, but how do we properly gauge success in ministry? And I know that's a very broad question, and, and things like how many campuses is enough campuses, how many people are enough people? Uh, so mm. answering these questions, I, I guess first and foremost— it, I realize that's a very broad question, but what do what do you guys do at next level uh, to say, "Hey, we're winning, we're we're winning." Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I think I think you know. Ultimately, of course, you know the right answer, and it is the right answer, is people are 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 stepping into a relationship with Jesus and being discipled in that relationship with Jesus, and that is a metric we keep. And and and, and I don't want <clears throat> to misspeak or paint a picture that's not true. You know, we have, uh, we keep metrics of everything you could imagine at next level. Now, um, we keep metrics of everything. Cause I do think that numbers do help paint a picture or part of the picture. I'm just not sure they paint the entire picture, you know? So when it comes to, you know, having seven locations, is that successful? Well, you know, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not sure that was never the goal. The goal was to have as many locations as we can, you know, having 2,500, 3,000 people a weekend. Is that successful in seven years? You know, compared to who? Compared to what? You know, and, and the problem, problem with success is it's often driven by comparison. And, and when you compare, you do two things. You either become boastful or you become insecure. Comparison is going to drive you one of those two ways. And so, you know, um, I think as a team, defining what success is, not based on what others are doing, but based on what you've been called to do, is probably the first way to, to define success. And so, you know, we'll talk about numbers and we'll say, you know, what would this look like if it were a successful launch? We're launching our New York location. Um, you know, I think it'll already be launched when this goes live, but, uh, what is it, what is a success? And we'll talk as a team over what that success looks like. And there's many things engulfed in that. There's numbers, there's salvations, there's how many people do we want in our next class where we explain the vision of next level. Um, success is also how many people are coming back. What's our, what's our stickiness percentage. And so, you know, we try to really broaden what success looks like not based on comparison because comparing to others your form of success will always leave you feeling insecure or boastful we did better than them we're successful or we didn't do good as them uh, and, and we're insecure we're failures and so i think for us we try to make sure that we do have metrics we do have gauges and we do know when to celebrate but we do it based on where we're being called uh, the context in which we're pastoring um the and we let let success be driven within our organization not from outside to within Man, that's really good. If you don't mind, go ahead and punch that last statement one more time. 
Yeah, we let success come from within our organization, what our organization defines, not from outside our organization to within our organization. Man, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, and I mean, I think, I think when it comes to success for me, I've been asking myself that a lot lately. Um, and I think for me, I, um, finding my uh, identity in the right things will ultimately, ultimately make me successful in the best things. And, you know, so for me, you know, I, I journaled recently, who am I? And I just answered that question. Who am I? Who am I? Who is Josh Gagnon? And of course, Josh Gagnon is a follower of, of Christ. And that's my first thing. That's like who I am. And Josh Gagnon is a husband and Josh Gagnon is a father. And Josh Gagnon is a son and Josh Gagnon is a pastor. And when I went through the entire list, I can genuinely say, when I look at who I am, I'm a husband and I'm a father and I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. Those identities come before my identity as a pastor. Mm. Now, let, let me unpack that for a second, because I think that if I'm being, I know if I'm being honest, my identity as a pastor, whether I'm successful or not, usually supersedes the identity I find in those other three things. For instance, on bad weekends or when the ministry is not going well, I feel like a failure in all those other things as a father, as a husband. And I've learned that in life, I can be succeeding at everything except ministry and still feel like a failure because I find my, my identity in ministry. But rarely am I succeeding at everything else, failing in ministry and feel like a success. And so I, th I think what you find your identity in will ultimately be how you define success or what is success to you. And so I recently was away with my directional team and my son, son sent me a video saying, I love you, daddy. You're the, you're the best. And then my wife, Jen texted with that video. You're the best dad. They love you. And I looked at my, someone on my directional team, I played him the video and I said, I'm a success. And he mm -hmm. said, he smiled. I said, I am, I'm a success. And so I think where you find your identity ultimately will also be how you, how, how, uh, what defines you as successful. Man, <laughs> that's so good. Uh, I love, there were a couple of tweets I came across uh, as I was creeping on you on Twitter uh, that you, one of them you said was, what you do for work does not define your worth. Finding who I am outside of what I do has been a journey. One, I'm still on. Yeah, so I think that would actually be the tweet of what I just said. Um, that's, you know, uh, what I do is not is not who I am. Uh, what I do is part of who I am. Um, but finding who I am will ultimately define whether or not I'm successful. You know, I think a lot of your listeners could say they're successful husbands or wives, and they're successful parents, and they're successful friends, and they're successful, you know, sons and daughters. I think you and I, Jared, we could say we're successful, and, and it's not boastful to say that. We could say we're successful in many areas. It's unfortunate that often ministry is the one area that defines our success in everything. Mm. And for me, I'm trying to balance that. I can still be having a bad season of ministry and be a success in life. And ultimately, how you view yourself will be, will be what you produce. And I don't know many people who see themselves as failures that succeed at much. But I've seen many people who are failing at some things but see themselves as successes that end up going on to succeed at much. Story after story of the greats who are in that boat that you're describing. Um, and even even what you said there is that our first – I mean it ties right into uh, – this is something Jason Laird said when he came on the show uh, a while back. But that uh, our first ministry – and I'm sure he wasn't even the one that coined this phrase. But our, our main ministry is at home. First, yeah, not not yeah. at the church. Hmm. Absolutely, agree with that. 
one other one other tweet you threw out there that I just thought was phenomenal is su- success can deceive someone into believing they're growing in humility, but who are you when you're stripped from your success? Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for following me on Twitter. In New England, Twitter hasn't made it up here yet. <laughs> um, so <laughs> they don't do Twitter. Twitter in, in New England, it's it's Facebook. Um, so at least someone reads the tweets. That makes me feel good right now, Jared. Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I can unpack that if you'd like. Um, so I was talking to my directional team. And we were talking about just humility. Actually, we were talking about growth in ourselves. And I presented the question to them, am I growing or are my circumstances simply changing? And I think that question can really provoke a lot of thought to to, to, to your listeners and teams. Am I growing or are my circumstances simply changing? And so I started Next Level, and I still am super insecure, and everybody thought you were going to fail, and you wanted to prove them wrong, which when you start to see a little bit of success in in numbers, right, at church, you start to get a little prideful over that. And, and, and now I would say, so if I'm just speaking authentically, I would say right now, you know, how do you say this and still be humble, but for the sake of for sake of being used by Jesus right now, I'll just put myself out there. But I would say right now, I'm probably the most humble, or I feel like the most humble I've ever been. But when I really dig down into that, I have to ask myself, has my circumstances just changed? So now when I talk to family, I'm much more humble when it comes to ministry than I used to be. But now they already see a ministry that's doing great things for Christ. So did my circumstances change or did I grow in humility? You know, when you're being asked to do podcasts and you're at being asked to speak at conferences and you're being asked to have conversations with people, um, you know, are you, and you feel more humble, are you simply just more humble because your circumstance changed? People may see you as successful now, so it's easy to be humble, but who are you if success was stripped away? And so I haven't by no means am I successful even in ministry. I have many years to go. But the question is, I'm probably viewed as more successful today than I was seven years ago. Mm. I just pray that I'm growing in humility, that my circumstance just hasn't changed. Dude, your heart is incredible. There, there's so well, so much good here. <laughs> Golly, you're blowing blowing my mind right now. Um, so would would you say that one of the ways you gauge success in ministry, just to continue this conversation forward, yeah. is through the people you're developing? Yeah, I think I think as a leader, one of the probably the most you know one of the most important metrics, of course, is you know who are you, who you're developing. Um, I haven't spoken in a while at Next Level. I took a little bit of a break um, from speaking every weekend, and we allowed our location pastors to speak some. And I tell them, um, uh, there are some of them are older than I am, but I feel like a I feel like a father on the weekends. I have a special app on my phone where I can watch live all of our locations mm. at the same time. And I feel like a little kid watching them all preach um, because I've had just the privilege of being able to speak into their lives. And so, absolutely, Jared, I think that's a great a great point. I think I think as as I think as leaders, I think one of the metrics or one of the ways you can define success is are those underneath you accomplishing more now than they did prior to you um, being in their life, and and that's definitely a definitely a metric. Man, and I, I I don't recall if I I snagged this from the, your episode twenty six the uh, uh, the value in building your leaders. It was released on February twenty sixth of twenty sixteen. Phenomenal, 
phenomenal episode. Um, finished listening to it, shared it with my entire team, um, have had some great feedback from them on it. Uh, and I, I think I got this from you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I believe it, it was you. It's good. I'll take credit for it either way. <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> uh, but I believe it was you that said, we don't have a job to do, we have a team to build. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, yeah, I, I probably heard it somewhere, but I remember, I, I have said that before. Anything good I've ever said probably came from Craig Rochelle or Andy Stanley <laughs> or somebody who's, who's gone before me and, and, and taught taught most of us what we know. Um, but no, we we do believe that at Next Level Church, we do believe that, that you know, really it comes down to building people. You know, we've got a, a development plan for leaders at Next Level Church, and, and we talk about multi-site a lot in the church world. I was talking to somebody about this today. And the idea of multi-site is to multiply, right? We're multiplying locations. Mm. And as a church, you know, this movement is great, by the way. Of course, we're hoping to launch, you know, dozens and dozens more. And we believe that this is one of the ways that God is using throughout America. And so the idea of multi-site is to multiply locations. The problem is, is most of us think about multiplying locations prior to multiplying people. Mm. And so if we're going to be a multi-site church, what that means is we're going to multiply. But you can't multiply locations until you multiply people. So really the church is, the whole idea of multi-site, really what it is, is it's we have to multiply more people, more disciples, more leaders, so that we can continue to take the message of the gospel you know, to, to the ends of the earth. And of course, that's always been the, the, the commission. That's always been the mission. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about that lately, how there's this trend. It's multi-site. Every mm-hmm. church wants to become multi-site because they want to grow. And I think Andy Stanley, I believe, said it. Uh, I don't want to take credit for this because it's too good. Um, but he said, uh, we have to stop focusing on what and start focusing on who. It's, it's who do we have before what we're going to do. Having a lot of multi-site churches are thinking, what we're going to do is go multi-site. My question is, before you think about multiplying locations, what you need to do is think about who you're going to multiply in order to get those locations. Man, that's good. Uh, on that development plan, I, I, I've heard you reference that. Is is there a place that folks can pick that up? Are we able to drop that in our show notes, a link to that or something? Is that something public? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they can email info at joshgagnon.com or or um, we'll make sure that we get it over to you correctly that you can put it on your on your show notes. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and it is. It's a development plan. It takes people through what, what we do in order to develop location pastors, uh, kids leads, guest service leads, and worship leaders. It's like a, most of them are 13-week plans where they're reading books and answering wow. questions on culture and so on and so forth. So we'd love to make that available for anybody. Man, that's fantastic. I'd love to take a look at that. Um, and, and I believe it was Chris Hodges that said, um, always train and develop more leaders than you actually need. And it's f- yeah. for things like that's- this. You got to have margin and money and in people to be able to go multi-site. And there's a, I'll have to find the link to this. There's a phenomenal Tim Keller talk about church planning and multi-site that it really cuts through the crap of it being that, that it's like a sexy thing to do right now. And it it really lays out the benefits of why church planning and multi-site is so stinking important. Um, it's incredible, uh, this talk he has, and we'll we'll get that one in the show notes as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, it has become like this sexy movement. How many locations do you have? And, 
you know, when I think about it, we have seven locations. You know, we need seven worship leaders that are talented and gifted and leading well and raising up more. We need seven pastors that could that pastor these churches, these locations. Mm. You know, we need seven great kids leading. We go through the list. You know, it, it may seem, you know, exciting on the front end, but there's a lot of leadership development that needs to go into it. And so, you know, it's, a, it's definitely a three-legged stool. Facilities, faculty, and finances. Mm. Man, that's really good. Um, so in, in developing leaders, uh, you started the church, like we said, seven, almost eight years ago now, uh, and getting ready to launch, if I'm not mistaken, it was you and like three families that were the force yeah. of, behind this church. Yeah, there was a, there's a very small group of us, I think with kids, it came out to around 12 people, but I think every church planner picks 12 now. <laughs> It sounds like everybody started with 12. I guess Jesus pulled it off, so we do. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, we, we had 12 people, so we really, we had 12 people, $270. Um, and we didn't have like a sending church. Wow. Um, we teamed up with the ARC right at our launch and the affiliation of related churches. You mentioned Chris Hodges. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're just, you know, been an absolute blessing for us. And, and I know you've had Dino Rizzo on your show and, mm. And uh, and so we teamed up with the ARC, but it was right at our launch, not prior to our launch, and so we missed out on some of the benefits. And it was eight years ago. I see what they're doing now. If this, you know, church planners are listening, man, I mean, they've got coaching, and, and, and they're setting church planners up for success. I mean, uh, what they're seeing in, in, in that organization is phenomenal. I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh, absolutely. And I think to date they've planned, and you may have just said that, it's like it's over 500 churches now. Yeah, which is just it's, 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 mind-blowing. It's phenomenal. No it's kidding. It's phenomenal. We were, in the top, we were in the first 50, and so we're pretty excited about that. Wow. And, they, man, the stuff they do is just – it's incredible. And this is not to get off or to promote ARC, but I attended a one-day event in at Itown Church at Dave, uh, Dave Summerall's church in Indianapolis, and it was a completely free event. It was – I mean, they paid for lunch. They gave everybody a couple of books. The speakers they had there were phenomenal. Um, and it was fully funded by ARC. I mean, it, they didn't charge yeah. anybody to get in, and you didn't even have to be an ARC church to get in. Right. Yeah, it's – it's. Um, I'm sure there's other organizations out there, uh, but it, it's as kingdom-minded as, as I've ever seen. And, and um, you know, I uh, I love being a part of the ARC, and, and – um, yeah, it's a great organization. So we started with 12 people and $270. And like I said, the ARC helped us out after we had just, just gotten started. But um, I can remember I didn't get paid the first year of our of our, our church's existence. Um, I got paid $100 a week when the giving was over $1,000 a week. And so I don't wow. know how many church planners have started out with that winning structure. But if you want to go ahead and sign up for it, you can give me the credit. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll probably fail with that structure, but that's how that's how uh, that's how hum- humble these beginnings were. Wow, man, that that's wild. And you you said that uh, especially in the Northeast, it's 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 extremely difficult to just hire people to work in a church, especially being like you said, so uh, it's predominantly Catholic or or a post Catholic era up there, and. Um, starting with 12 people and now being at seven campuses, obviously you had to hire and, 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 and get more people. And I read somewhere you just said, well, we couldn't really hire people, so we had to get creative. So what did you do to get the people you needed to, to get where you are now? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we were always pretty strong at casting vision and explaining the why. 
and, you know, explaining where God, we believe God is going to take us. We've always been solid at, I shouldn't say always, but we became solid at empowering people and allowing for their gifts to make room um, in the organization and, and allowing people to be able to say yes, not just fulfill tasks. And so I think people were attracted to, to Next Level Church because it was one different, it was two, something that was growing in a region where not um, not every church sees that type of growth. And I think people were excited because they felt a part of the team. We also, early on, I used to tell a lot of people, um, church planners, you know, one of the things that we did was we would um, stipend people. So I couldn't hire someone for, for, for a full-time paycheck. But what I did is, it meant if they showed a hunger and a desire, I would just ask them to commit to the vision, commit to this mission, commit to this region, give them my word that as they continue to grow and as, 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 as Next Level continues to grow, that I'll be loyal to them. Not that I would just promise them the world, but I'd say I'll be loyal as you continue to grow and as Next Level continues to grow. But right now, we can give you 50 bucks a week. And I know that seems so small and it seems so uh, pointless. But back then, I mean, we had, you know, 10 people paid tiny bits of money, but they knew that, that we appreciated them and we were doing all we can. And we've always had a team that's always sacrificed on the front end in order to reap the harvest on the back end. Mm. And we've always had a team that we've taught. This is, and, and from those early years where that was our structure and that was the way we thought, it hasn't changed even now. We were in a directional team meeting yesterday with my three elders and myself. We call them directional team, uh, three others and myself. And they all were willing to take pay cuts in order to achieve this new initiative that we're moving towards. We didn't end up pulling the trigger on that decision. But the first thing they say is, hey, I'll take a pay cut, because they remember what it was like to wait tables and work at Next Level. And we're just blown away that we're able to even be full-time in ministry. And so early on, we kept the DNA where we said, we'll give you, we'll, we will always give you all that we can. We will always be as fair to you as we possibly can, and you need to trust that. And we've stuck to that word, and so today... You know, a lot of those people are full-time on staff, and, and still many of them are, are stipend or, or just volunteers, but they know that Next Level Church is loyal to them. I think I think the church is really good at expecting loyalty, but very bad at giving loyalty. Mm. And I think one of the things that we've done well is we've given loyalty back to those who have been loyal to us. Man, that's really good. Really, my next question here is a lot of people talk about the casting vision and empowering others. And not to put you on the spot, I didn't have this in the in the questions, but what, what does that look like? You said you guys have always been really good at casting vision. So if you don't mind, yeah. just give us an example of what that looks like for maybe the young leaders out there listening that think, man, I want to cast vision, but I'm having the hardest time getting people on my team. What does that look yeah. like for you? Yeah, well, I, I think I think that Casting vision is one, giving an overall des- desired um, destination. And so if you're going to cast vision, for me, I live in New England, um, Boston area. And so if I were going to cast um, a vision over where I was heading geographically, I could say if I were going to Florida, I would cast a vision. You know, we're going to head to Florida and this is how we're going to get there. And then I would get, give disciplines or checkpoints along the way and I would celebrate those disciplines or I would celebrate those checkpoints along the way as we go after getting to Florida. And so I think a lot of people, when I hear about vision nowadays, it's a lot of hype and it's just a lot of, you know, we're going to change the world and let's do it. 
And that's not necessarily, you know, that, that might be a dream, but a dream outside of disciplines is nothing more than just a conversation. And so what we try to do at Next Level is teach. Vision is talking about where you're going to go and where, where we're heading, but it's also talking about the disciplines and checkpoints along that journey that we're going to celebrate along the way. Yeah. And so at Next Level, we'll talk about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do. And we wrap that up into one big picture. And, and really, that's, that's the vision. And as a leader, um, as a leader, someone once told me, when you're casting vision, picture it as you, you, you don't have a paintbrush, but you're in a room full of staff members or volunteers, and they all have a paintbrush. And as you're communicating the dream in your heart or the dream for that ministry, as you're communicating your dream that God's put in your heart as the vision holder, you don't have a paintbrush, but your job is to communicate that vision so well that those sitting in the seats with paintbrushes can paint an entire picture that explains the vision on your heart. As the head lead visionary, you don't have the paintbrush. Your job is to communicate the dream in your heart in a way that those who are close to you can paint the picture precisely. And that's always kind of stuck with me when it came to communicating vision. Can those around me paint a picture, even if I didn't have a paintbrush, but I've communicated the vision so well that they know where we're going? Man, that's a beautiful picture, not to double double down on that, but it's yeah. a beautiful picture of Ephesians 4.12, that yeah, our, exactly. our job is not to do the ministry, but to empower others to do the work of the ministry. Uh, man, that's, a, that's an amazing uh, visual for that. Uh, see how you see how you saved me and brought scripture into this conversation. I <laughs> love you for that. <laughs> Just like your kids, I'm so spiritual, Josh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm going to jump back to uh, in the kind of in the same vein. There, uh, what are some super practical things then that you do? Like you, you said a moment ago, not only are you really good at casting vision, but you're also good at empowering others, allowing them to say yes, not just to be a task doer, but to give them. It sounds like to give them authority. Um, like super practically, what does that look like for you? at next level. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the point person on that team or as the leader of, of next, you know, as the lead pastor of next level church, you know, we're best when I'm least important in a conversation. And so when it comes to empowering, I think a lot of leaders like to see empowerment as, you know, I'll let you do tasks under me and I'll tell you every task that you need to do. And Mm. I'll make every decision that needs to be made. I like to look at it, the teams that I lead. I like to look at I'm most important when I'm least needed because I'm leading best I'm leading them best when I'm least when I'm least needed. And and so empowering people means that you give them the authority to answer questions and to make decisions outside of your backing, outside of your influence. And and I think a lot of organizations are really good at at hiring a bunch of people to fulfill tasks and a bunch of people to be robots. And I think that we think that delegating means that we're just going to hand off tasks, but I think delegating means we're going to hand off authority. We're going to hand off power. We're going to hand off the uh, authority to say yes or no. And so what we're really working on at Next Level Church, and, and when we do staff reviews, um, we, don't, we don't review the staff. The staff reviews us as, mm. a, as an organization. And when we do staff reviews, the question we ask, one of the main questions is, is are you able to say yes? And what areas are you leading where you don't feel like you're able to say yes, where you're able to give the answer? Wow. Is, is that another form you're willing to share with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I will for sure. And it, uh, no, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say I'll make sure that uh, – that we get you that form. I'm just saying it out loud so my assistant hears me say that out loud. 
<laughs> I respect that. I respect that. Thank you, Walt, uh, for all you do. Exactly. You, are the, you are the man. Uh, Walt for, is the man. For setting this up and for making this happen and for everything you do for Next Level Church. You are the freaking man. Uh, and And with that, then, and, and would you, Josh, would you tell other churches that even though uh, we're going to be able to show your development plan, which you already do, uh, we're going to show this other form here, um, uh, would you say go plug and play with this or take it and like figure out how this is going to work in your church? Yeah, we never say plug and play. Um, we've never, you know, we've stolen most things that we do, <laughs> but we've always contextualized them to the culture in which we lead. And so, you know, I would never say, you know, plug and play, nor do we teach plug and play. Mm. We teach, t- we teach take and modify and to make our own. And so I would say, you know, anything that we have at Next Level Church is, is a course available for anybody that could make good use of it. But I would always challenge everybody to take what we have, make it better. And, and you hear a lot of people say, make it better. I would even say, just make it yours. Um, I think, I think everything we have, we've made it ours. Man, that's really good. I think that, I think that can go with vision too. If if I could just say that real quick, Jared, I think I think the church. What happens is I think a lot of church planters are borrowing visions from big churches in America, and they're trying to bring them back to their unique cultures and their unique um, um, communities. And they're not seeing what they wish they would see in those communities as far as the church growth or what have you. And I think that. Um, we shouldn't be borrowing other churches' visions, mm. but it's fine to learn from churches, but God's given you a unique vision. And I don't think every church in America should look like Life Church, Elevation Church, North Point, and you name it. I think that those churches can lead the way for other churches to learn, but I think it's doing it does damage when you try to become them, because God has given you a unique vision in a unique community. I like to say all the time, those churches aren't doing what we're doing in New England. And and so for me to take what they're doing and try to place it in New England would be harming the vision that God put in my heart. Now, you can lead, I'm sorry, learn from many churches, but do yourself a favor and don't plug and play a vision, but learn from other visions and then modify and make it relevant to the community you live in. Man, that's really good. With your with your leaders, you cast vision, you empower them to do the work. What would you say, and how do you make sure with your staff as well as your volunteers that you're not pushing them too hard or too much? Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish I wish I, I wish I could. Uh, um, we we probably do push people too hard, and we do probably expect too much, and. And we're guilty of that, as, as as many of the listeners, I'm sure, are. Um, we're trying to ask ourselves that qu- question of, of balance, and and you know, there's there's never seems to be enough leaders, and there never seems to be enough development, and the vision always seems bigger than what we have in our hand. Which I hope it stays that way. The day that the the day we have what we need to do, what God's called us to do might be the day we need to stop because we should always be chasing a dream where we don't have enough to accomplish it because then we rely on God. Mm. Um, so I don't know if I'd be the best person to answer how not to get people burnt out or, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think if I'm just being honest, I had a conversation with a location pastor today who said, man, we got five experiences every weekend at our, at our location. And it just feels like we have great leaders and then they leave or they move on or they need a break. And I don't know how to stop burning them out. And um, yeah, we're trying to figure that out. So if anybody's figured that out, please contact me. (laughs) 
how with with your leadership and building people, how do you make sure that as you're casting vision, empowering others, getting people on the team, or as Jim Collins would say, on the bus, how do you make sure that the right people are in the right seats? I think I think I think people are the best at informing you what seat they belong on. Mm. Um, most people, I think, in the organization know when they're failing or when they feel like they're succeeding. And I think most people know what they're good at and what they're not good at. And so, you know, at Next Level Church, when we hire you, we put you on a three-month three month probation period. And it's not that in three months we're going to let you go if you're not good at this. The promise is in when the next three months we're going to commit to trying, we believe in you, and we're going to commit to trying to find the best seat that you fit on this bus. And if that seat's available and open and we need it filled right now, we'll make sure we put you on that seat. We're committing to you as a person. But I think the church needs to commit to putting people where they belong. And and I think gifts make room for themselves. Scripture will talk about that. And mm. so for us, we just say, what are they good at? People people usually gravitate towards what they're good at. And and, and so we ask, what are they good at? They show what they're good at. And it's just our responsibility to put them where they're good at. And people are just going to be more happy and do better when they're in positions uh, that they're built for, positions that they're succeeding and thriving in. And, you know, long before you think someone's failing at something, most people know they're failing at it. Long before you're unhappy with someone's work, they're probably unhappy doing work for you. And so I think it's just the maturity of saying, where do you fit? Every single person on my directional team has done several things, hmm. several things. Um, most people in our organization have done several different things. Um, we've committed to them, and we've committed to making sure we move them on this bus um, to whatever seat they fit best on if it's available. Man, that's really good. And, it, you know, I know we're we're running out of time here. Now that you're seven years in, almost eight Looking back over the the history of Next Level Church, is there anything you'd look back and say, man, if if I could do it all again, I'd do this different? Um, Yeah, I think I think there's there's certain things. I mean, I probably would have moved our first first location into a permanent facility sooner um, before expanding to our second location. Um, we had two portable locations. I probably would have fought to get one of them permanent before having two portable locations. That's just for us probably would have been a better decision. Um, I would have probably taught myself earlier on in ministry. Not that I succeeded as if by any means, Jared, but I would have, I would have fought the battle of lusting after other people's um, dreams and other people's accomplishments mm. in ministry. I would have started fighting that battle earlier um, and just being confident who God's called me. Uh, so there's some, you know, I would have worked on being better over bigger. Um, if I could go backwards, I talked about bigger, 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 more, 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 more. I probably would go back and say, how are we doing at getting better, 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 and allowed better to drive being bigger, not not just focus on being bigger. Because, you know, even seven years in now, a lot of people say, well, you have thousands of people in seven locations. You know, we're still only seven years old. Mm -hmm. I'm still a young leader. And so we still have a good, to go, you know, God willing, you know, 35, 40 years at this run. And, and, and so just now, really over the last year, we're really focusing on how do we get better at discipleship? What does it even look like to disciple somebody in 2016? You know, how do we get better at community? How does it look to have community in a world where text messaging and social media drive conversation? You know, we're really asking ourselves, how do we become deep and wide? Um, and so I would have focused on being better 
better at all the things that mattered most, and eventually we would become bigger um, with better being our foundation. I think now we're probably big in some areas, and we're trying to you know kind of build the foundation after the house is already up. And so, um, yeah, there's a couple of things I would. One of the things we I think we always did well was keep the vision out in front. Um, the vision was never for sale. We had people come to me in the early days, put me on the board, and I'll or I'll stop tithing. And back then, they were our biggest givers, and I asked them if I could help them find a new church if they'd find one on their own. Um, you know, um, we always kept the vision out front. You know, we started doing video. We were one of the first churches in all of New England to use video teaching, and nobody had ever done it before in this area. And we were doing video, and everybody was complaining, and everybody was saying it wouldn't work, and people were threatening that they were going to leave, and some did. But now, you know, 13 experiences a weekend, soon to be 15 a weekend in two weeks. And on Easter, over 20 experiences will be video. And I'm happy we stuck true to, to the long-term vision. One of the things I'd say just to the leaders, I was with a mentor of mine today, Gordon McDonald, and we were talking. And, and one of the things that I said to him and we just really got talking about was, you know, I want to make decisions today that will benefit ministry 30 years from now. And I think too many leaders focus on what can I make, what decisions can I make today? Who can I keep today that will keep me happy this week or this month? I want to make decisions today as an organization and as a person that 30 years from now I'm going to be seeing the benefits of. And so I knew early on if we would get people to buy into vision, I'm sorry, video, if we just used video, we would reach more people years to come than if I stayed in one location live. And so now we reach more people via video every week and then we do live. But that was a long term decision, not a short-term decision. And so I would say, um, as leaders, we need to make sure we're making um, decisions for the long run, not decisions for the short run, because often the the decisions that will only matter in the short run or the best decision now for the short run isn't the best decision for the long run. Wow. (laughs) So much wrapped up in all of that. So, so good. Uh, you got me late at night, so I'm just rambling. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, you can ramble on the Creative Sheet podcast any day. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm letting my creative side out. This is my creative side, rambling on. You should see me. I'm sitting by a fire right now. I'm laying down on a couch. It's creative, creative hour in the Gagnon home. I love it. I love it. Uh, just to to wrap it all up here to the to the yeah. to the leaders out there. I know we we initially said we were going to be talking about gauging success in ministry. Um, which I believe in that the people you develop are ultimately going to define the success that you have. Um, yeah. But what what would maybe just some closing thoughts here for for the leaders out there listening? Just any closing thoughts you have for us? Um, I, I, I think I would just say you know work on you as a leader, becoming better um, as a leader, you being better, you know, um, being healthier, staying focused. Um, you know, having the disciplines today that are going to lead to success tomorrow. You can talk to a lot of people that are going to tell you how they want to be successful, but very few people have the disciplines that are going to lead to success. So I would say great leaders have have disciplines that they stick to. Average leaders aren't consistent in disciplines. And so, you know, the other thing, I just go back to the first thing I said is, is find your identity. You know, who has God called you to be? You know, how are you wired? What's God's plan for your life? And don't lust after the plan for everybody else's life. I think Stephen Furtick said it when he said, you know, today we lust after the highlight reel of everybody else. Mm. And, you know, find your identity, who God's called you to be, and be okay with it. And um, and chase after the real things that matter in life, what truly is success in life. And so, yeah. 
I think I wrapped up all my thoughts in the last hour, so I got nothing. Not, literally, if I've said anything good, it's all I've got. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Josh, uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to go about doing that? Yeah, they can. Uh, I got dot com is, is is a website, and that that is is mine. And um, my podcast is on there, the Joshua Gagnon Leadership Podcast. And so we've got some great guests on there. And you know, you're doing a great job with this podcast, by the way. It's very similar to this podcast. So if they like your podcast, which they should, the Creative Sheet Podcast, they would uh, probably enjoy the Joshua Gagnon Leadership Podcast. And all my information are on those things. And whatever we can do for anybody listening, our team is has open hands, and uh, we'll give away and and do whatever we possibly can to help all of us succeed better. I love I love your heart, man. It's all about the 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 capital C church, and it, just your heart is incredible. Josh, thank you. Yeah, thanks so for what much. you're doing, Jared. Appreciate oh, this podcast. Thank- thanks for leading the way. Thanks for all the great guests you've had, and and thanks for giving leaders just an outlet to learn and to get better. You're, you're doing a great job. I love the Creative Sheet Podcast. Man, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Roman, I loved, love, love that conversation. I uh, loved a couple of things that Josh said. He said, uh, a God-sized vision won't make sense to normal thinking. That God's going to plant a vision in your heart that may not entirely make sense to your normal, natural thinking. And I love that. And then he went on to say, uh, make it so big that not, not no one person can take credit for it. That like you have that. to give credit to God. I love that so much. I like that. Seems like that's something that uh, happened a lot in the Bible. So yeah, you got it. You got to go with it. That's good. It is so good, folks. Thank you so much for listening today, Roman. If anyone wants to get in touch, how would they do that? Hey, there, this is this is a fast-paced world of communication that we live in. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, we are on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Creative underscore Sheep. Uh, feel free to reach out to us, and uh, we'd love to answer any questions you have, or just uh, you know ask us what our favorite color is, and we'll tell you. That's true, and of course, you can always hit us up through CreativeSheep.org. Folks, we're so grateful that you're listening. Give us a subscribe, leave a review. We'd love, love, love to hear from you. Uh, Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.